comes from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, and it's found on page 442 of the Blue Shed Bible. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. This is the word of the Lord. Shout for joy for the Lord desires to be with you. Hill. If we haven't met, my name is Ashley, and it's so good to be with you. I'm one of our co-lead pastors along with Troy, and we are in week two of this fascinating series. I've loved reading the book. Hopefully you've read Nehemiah once or twice before, but let me start by saying this. It doesn't matter whether it's Legos or a board game or Ikea furniture, folks. There are really only two types of people in this world. The people who will read the instructions and follow them in order. I see you. And then there are those folks who proceed as if the instructions very existence has offended every God-given talent and sensibility that they have. Either way, you know you don't just go from the box to the bookshelf being done. You don't just go from transitions at work to a tight-knit team, from bankruptcy to financial flourishing, from loss to suddenly being fine. So in week two, out of the book of Nehemiah, we see that Nehemiah himself knew this truth about building, that you don't just go from ruin to a rebuilt city. Categorized as a historical book by the Hebrew scriptures, if you look at the way the book is outlined, we don't even get to 
actual building in my Bible where the headed, heading is rebuilding the wall until chapter 3. So if chapter 1, if you tuned in last week with Troy preaching, if chapter 1 includes Nehemiah mourning, fasting, and praying for what we now know was four months, and the rebuilding of the wall doesn't begin until chapter, tr chapter 3, what comes in between? What happens in between? What happened between Nehemiah's praying and the process of building? Today, as a church, we are celebrating one year of gathering as Mars Hill Grand Rapids. God has been incredibly faithful and kind over the past year, and there is still more to come. There's community yet to be built. There's a vision that's yet to be cast and clarified as we go along. Partnerships yet to be realized. The reason that we have to ask the question of what happened between Nehemiah's praying and the process of building is in many ways we find ourselves as a church in that space. And on a larger scale, culturally, we live in a Western American culture that likes to figure it out now. I want the remodel to be done right now. Can I get a witness? The remodel now. We want that relationship to be restored now. We want the growth now, the glorious stories to tell now. In a culture of now, we would do well to remember Nehemiah and what I call chapter two formation. Chapter two formation is what happens after a burden is placed but before a brick is laid. It's the in-between, it's the unseen, it's easily overlooked and ignored because it's not always recognized or applauded. As a matter of fact, as we'll briefly see here in a moment, chapter two isn't just easily overlooked sometimes, sometimes it is even actively opposed. But chapter two formation might just be the most solid foundation upon which an ancient people or a local church community today could build. So as we celebrate today, let's discover and live into the beauty of chapter two formation and three of its markers out of Nehemiah's story. Those markers are these, personal investment. If you have a journal, you can write these down. Personal investment, prayerful intervention, and perimeter inspection. Let's talk these through. So we know that Nehemiah is a highly esteemed and trusted cupbearer, and we find ourselves at the beginning of chapter 2 in Babylon, where Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the Persian king Artaxerxes. Okay? So however, something is wrong. Nehemiah cannot hide his sadness. Some scholars would even go as far as to say that Nehemiah is depressed. Artaxerxes, he notices because as a cupbearer, 
Nehemiah would have been trusted in the king's presence frequently. The king would know when one who serves him is off. So the king asks Nehemiah about his disposition, and the text gives us a very subtle but key detail here. Nehemiah says, if you're following along, chapter 2, verse 2, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins? and its gates have been destroyed by fire. This is significant because a servant of the king wasn't supposed to allow his feelings to be so conspicuous in the king's presence and before the king's guests. This isn't, this isn't good etiquette at all. So Nehemiah knows that there's something on the line. And whether he was so worn by his sadness over Jerusalem, remember his brother had told him what had happened to the city, or whether he intended for the king to see him so sad. We don't know. But, but my question is, why was he afraid? He was sad and depressed, but, but, but why afraid? If we look back to Nehemiah's contemporary Ezra, right before the book, in Ezra chapter 4, we see that there was much opposition to Jerusalem being rebuilt. As a matter of fact, in Ezra chapter 4, we find this letter from a commanding officer and a secretary to King Artaxerxes. And I'll read part of it to you. Ezra chapter 4. To King Artaxerxes... From your servants in trans-Euphrates, the king should know that the people who came to us from you have gone to Jerusalem and are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are restoring the walls and repairing the foundations. We inform the king that if this city is built and its walls are restored, you will be left with nothing in trans-Euphrates. If you like drama, move over, Netflix. We've got something for you. There is much on the line in the way of political interest for King Artaxerxes. There's a lot on the line here. And his reply says this, Jerusalem has had powerful kings ruling over the whole of trans-Euphrates, and taxes, tribute, and duty were paid to them. Now issue an order to these people to stop work so that the city will not be rebuilt until I so order. Uh-oh. Back to Nehemiah. And perhaps his fear makes sense now. If the king were to judge that Nehemiah was against him or his policy in any way, understand, this could have been the end for him. This could have been the end for him, despite the risk, though. Nehemiah does not lead with a demand, interestingly enough, for political reform but with his personal, emotional investment. Nehemiah leads vulnerably 
from his heart. And if you notice, he doesn't even say the name of the city. He doesn't even say Jerusalem. So in the journey from a burden being laid to being part of rebuilding broken things, where's your heart? Where's your heart? Have you actually been willing not just to speak about your desire, but to show someone a risky level of vulnerability as to why it matters to you? Not to your business bottom line or why it matters to a family member, but to you. If someone were to ask me why I care so much about the Mars Hill Bible Church community, for example, and our involvement and longing to link arms with our communities here in Granville and Grand Rapids, I tell them that I long to see the body of Christ as the first place the world looks to for hope, not the last. I would tell them about what I see God doing in my children, their gifts and their desires, and I want to be part of creating a healthy, flourishing church that's in love with Jesus for their sake. I care that both men and women can lead here, that we might pave a way with anyone with a leadership gift can come proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. When we align our hearts with what burdens us, I actually think we better model integrity. This past week, our fantastic Mars Hill staff gathered for our first retreat in two years. And we did a deeper dive into our staff values of Christ-likeness, relationship, and integrity being the third. And one of our speakers who came to help us unlock more of these values helped frame integrity not just as telling the truth all the time or maintaining high character, those, those things are included, but she talked about living in wholeness because God is wholeness. God is not divided in God's character. God is consistent in God's character. So as a reflection of who God is here on earth as the body of Christ, our integrity means not separating how we feel emotionally from how we show up at work. Not separating out who we are at home as a parent or a caregiver or as a friend from how we show up in other spaces. I actually think Nehemiah shows up and we see him doing this, leading a fully integrated life. He brought the weight of Jerusalem's devastation to his workplace and was able to beautifully and vulnerably both honor the Persian king he proclaimed his desire for Artaxerxes flourishing. Did you hear it? Long live the king. He was able to do both that while also not denying the heaviness and sadness of the city's destruction. 
I am reminded today through Nehemiah's witness and his posture that we don't have to choose between longing for the flourishing of officials who instate or maintain politically unfavorable policy and allowing what's broken in our midst to move our hearts. We don't have to wish ill upon an individual to validate our pain. Nehemiah's integrity, bringing his full self, was in allowing the personal investment of his sadness, what had been done to the city that he so loved, to live in tension with honoring both the burden that God has placed on him and the life of a king who held his very life in his hand. Where's your heart? And how might today you show up more honestly, more whole? One of my prayers is that we continue to be a community that's willing to bring our whole selves and while upholding others' inherent dignity and worth, be willing to show ourselves vulnerable, even if it's risky. So that's personal investment, but I I think chapter two formation is also about prayerful intervention. Wait a minute, didn't Troy just spend a whole week last week talking about prayer? We need to do this again. Yes, friends, prayerful intervention. Nehemiah reveals his heart, and it's interesting, the king doesn't rage against him in anger. Some scholars say that because the queen was there, she found favor with Nehemiah. And the king had favor on Nehemiah because of her. I'm just saying. But some might say that when the king asks this question, something happens. Take a look. He asks, what is it that you want? The king asks Nehemiah, what is it that you want? What a question. So I tried it on this past week, and I randomly asked my three kids, and you know what they said? An OMG doll, a Pokemon Pokeball, and popcorn, respectively. I didn't know Pokemon was still a thing, I'll tell you that. Given the current state of your heart, what is it that you want. What do you want? Again, Nehemiah doesn't start by making demands or casting vision or even using the opportunity to rattle off his Amazon wish list. He says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. He's praying again. He didn't get enough the first four months. I think what's so interesting here is that his first instinct in response to such an opportune question is the very posture he took in response to the news of Jerusalem's broken walls. So whether in the wake of devastation or with the possibility of his desires being met, Nehemiah prays. 
And I can't help but wonder if Nehemiah's four months haven't just been in response to bad news, but if they've actually shaped something in him so that now prayer isn't just something that he does, it's a part of who he is. And I wonder about that. Nehemiah believed something about God that whether over months or within a few moments, God might actually intervene on his behalf. So he prays and his answer isn't vague. He doesn't say, well, king, overturn your policy, please. With specificity and clarity, Nehemiah names what he wants. Look at how specific this is. He prays to be sent to be proximate over an agreed upon period of time. He prays to have letter, or he asks for letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates. A call back to Ezra uh, 4, is it not? These are the people who sent the letters to the Persian king saying, stop the building. He asked for letters that he might pass that long journey in safety. He knows exactly what he wants. He asks for a letter to Asaph, Asaph was the dude where you get your timber. And I bet it costs a lot less than it does right now. He needed timber for gates for the city. And if you read carefully, he needed timber to build his own house. He wanted to establish a sense of permanence when he got there. So in seasons where rebuilding is part of our future or our near future, whether as a collective church or as families, employees, or friends, we must be attentively shaped in such a way so that we can, with specificity and clarity, reflect desires that reflect God's. Because if we aren't already shaped by God's desires, guess what will happen? Then we'll answer that question in a way that will reflect our own self-serving desires. Church prayer keeps us ready to respond with God's heart. In the words of Sidney Holmes, my daddy, he said, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. If you stay postured with the heart of God, then when someone asks you what you want, the answer will flow naturally as a reflection of the heart of the Father. What this interaction tells me is that Nehemiah had taken time, not just to feel the weight of the broken walls, but to strategize specifically about what would be needed to fix them. Some scholars think his brother perhaps gave him details about what was needed, and that's how he knew. As a feeler, here's where I gladly get to say, for all of you left-brained thinkers and strategists, we need you. We need your ability to turn visions into practical plans, dreams into next steps. We need to be able to translate burdens into action. And here's where I think our culture gets stuck, having feelings without prayerful strategy Strategy without honest feeling. I'm prone to both. To sharing my opinions without pausing to pray. 
to ask God how I might tangibly and practically bring God's desire to any situation, any situation. So I practiced this yesterday just as a matter of presence and trying to live this out. So Troy texted me yesterday morning, checking in about today, and I told him that I was pretty bummed about the weather. If you looked yesterday, it was supposed to be raining cats and dogs this afternoon. And I was bummed, because we were gonna have so much fun. I tell you what, we're gonna have music, we're gonna have a balloon artist, donuts I hear this evening to celebrate. So I answered honestly, I said, I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling pretty bummed. And he promised that he would pray about the weather. And I'm here to tell you this morning, Mars Hill, that uh, the prayers of the righteous availeth much, as James says in chapter five, because would you know it, there's a 0% chance of rain for the rest of the day. So you can thank your, your CLP, your co-lead pastor, Troy Hatfield, for that. <laughs> so Mars Hill, in between seasons, between burden and building, Prayer must be on our lips at all times. Not because God is a magic genie, but because prayer keeps us dependent in the process. It keeps us in alignment with what he is doing, what the Holy Spirit is doing in all the earth. Prayer shapes our desires when the world longs to shape them too. Practice this. Next time someone asks you a hard or high stakes question, don't answer them, pray. Take up the posture of Nehemiah, then I pray to the God of heaven, and just see what happens. See how God might intervene in that situation to change your heart and how you see the person across from you, to how you consider what you say next. See what happens, okay. So we talked about personal investment. We talked about prayerful intervention, finally we got to talk about this perimeter inspection. So Nehemiah, he gets to Jerusalem. It's a multi-week long journey. And he doesn't jump straight into building. So he takes about three days in verses 12 through 15, and he rides around Jerusalem and he surveys what's been broken. The text says he does this by himself and he does it at nighttime. He really doesn't want anyone to know that he's doing this. Here's a beautiful piece of art. I'm a visual person, so here's art by Gustave Doré that shows Nehemiah riding around on his steed. Some scholars even say it was a donkey because the horse would have been too loud, would have woken people up. But here he is riding around looking at the walls of Jerusalem. And he traveled what was likely this path. So if the large perimeter is, present, is the present day walls of the city. So this is a lot shorter distance. It's, this didn't take him that long. But all the gates that you mentioned, we're not talking about all the gates. You can read about all the gates. Those gates are all circled within the blue. And this is the path that Nehemiah travels. And he tells no one. Because he knew the people of Jerusalem could sell his secret to neighboring territories. He knew that his enemies, like Sanballat, who we already read about, if you were to read the full chapter in verse 10, he knew his enemies would try to thwart his plans. It says earlier that his enemies 
were really disturbed that he was seeking the welfare of the Israelites. So he had people who wanted to see this stopped. But why else do a perimeter inspection? So a few months ago, we had an old cast iron pipe burst in our basement underneath concrete. And I'll tell you what Rotor Rooter didn't do. They didn't come with their drills and the concrete and just start slabbing stuff in the cracks. They didn't just start doing stuff. What they did was they took a tiny insu-insu camera and they fed the camera down the hole in the basement so they could assess the damage. They needed to see where the breaks were so that they could return so we know exactly where we need to drill, we know exactly where we need to replace concrete, and now we have a plan. In the same way, remember, Nehemiah had only heard about the wall being broken down and the gates having been burned with fire, but he knew that as the new guy in town, he needed to see for himself. He needed an accurate picture of where the damage was located and how badly the city's walls were compromised. Because to begin building without being acquainted with what was broken would have been nonsensical. And so before Nehemiah invites anyone else into what God has laid on his heart, he processed his sadness and depression against the backdrop of the ruins. I can imagine him riding around the city, moved once again by the wreckage, more resolved than ever before to be part of mending what had been destroyed, able now to give a first-hand account if anyone were to ask him, the new guy, if he'd even seen the city. Church, if we're going to build, we must be willing to walk the wreckage. The temptation will be to show up on the scene of our relationships or in our communities or in the city and to start drilling and filling and using our resources, our networks, our good intentions to patch random cracks when the damage is so much deeper. Here in our very own city, for example, the damage is deeper than any one event. For our black brothers and sisters, especially wreckage, reaches back through the generations, generations of redlining and predatory lending practices, generations of lack of access to health care or not being heard by people who have power to change things. The wounds are deep. Trust has been broken. So yes, we celebrate. We celebrate our partnerships and our relationships with Principal Bracey at Campus Elementary and Jen and Miss Ellen and Tino and Christina at the King Park Neighbors Association, JD and Antoinette who are working hard to see gun violence lessened in our city. But we, we must continually be willing to walk the wreckage that our brothers and sisters wade through. When it comes to your deepest burdens, have you walked the wreckage? Have you listened to another story 
heard the voices of the community? Have you gazed into the face of a loved one or a friend who's hurting? Whatever burdens you, have you walked it? If we build together before walking the broken places, we could end up unintentionally building walls of division where God asked for renewed gates. Monuments to ourselves that God didn't ask us to create. This is the value of a good perimeter inspection. So Nehemiah doesn't just ignore the box contents and get to building. He shows us chapter two formation. He invests his heart personally and vulnerably. He yet again calls on God in a crucial moment of prayer. And he sees the destruction for himself up close. And it is only at that point when he extends the invitation. He says, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They, the congregation, they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Another version in my Bible says, so they strengthened their hands for the good work. Nehemiah says, let us. He uses first person plural. And he identifies with with those who have been in Jerusalem this time. And in hearing of Nehemiah's double authority, that from God, the favor of God, and that from King Artaxerxes, the congregation strengthened their hands. In other words, they encouraged themselves. They encouraged themselves for the good work ahead. Brothers and sisters, on this day of celebration, don't forget chapter two. Don't forget your heart. Don't forget the ways in which prayer shapes your desires. Don't forget to walk the wreckage in proximity. When I think about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who did just that, he came vulnerably as a baby confined to a womb. He prayed and called out to Abba Father multiple times, needing to get away to align his heart's desire, saying, if you would take this cup from me. But then he says, not what I will, but what you will, God. And, and then in the greatest perimeter inspection of all time, he lives amongst us. He experiences what we experience. And in so doing was the cornerstone that the builders rejected. So we want to send you encouraged this morning. Whatever your heart is burdened for, we want to encourage you to good work. Our team led by Holly Cruzy, creative director, and Terry Gruders, who keeps this place looking beautiful and takes really care of our facilities, along with Jim Smith right here who cut wood for us last week. We want to have a visual representation from both of our communities that explains and tells of the things that our hearts are burdened for and our commitment to move into those places together as one.
And so if you look around the room behind the prayer walls, there are tables with cut wood. And we already have in mind what this art installation might become. We can't wait to reveal that to you. But here's what we want you to do as you move in to receiving from the table and into the rest of our gathering this morning. Back there is a Sharpie, a permanent marker. If you would write what's on your heart, a word or a phrase, a longing that you have that feels like a unique burden that God has placed on your heart, then would you write it down? No need to pick up the wood or move it. Please don't take the wood home with you. <laughs> we'll leave it back there for a few weeks. So if you need the space just to reflect today, take that time and come back and place it on the piece another week. But then at the end of a few weeks, brothers and sisters, we will get to see what God has uniquely postured us as the Mars Hill Bible Church community to live into and to build into and to see revitalized in the world. First, I'm going to invite Troy up, and we want to bless your hands. Pastor and community organizer Alexia Salvatierra says that the poetic nature of liturgy awakens the authenticity of our feelings, making us better able to engage the suffering of our fellow humans and opens a pathway for our creative and revolutionary action. So Troy, when I would like to bless you and to bless your hands for that work. So if you will, extend your hands from wherever you are and receive this blessing. Yeah. So we pray together, creative God, who made the heavens and the earth and who has built the church empowered by the Holy Spirit under the sustaining care of Jesus. We extend our hands today asking you to bless all of the gifts that you have so generously given to those gathered in this room. Gifts meant to both build up the body of Christ, but also to be exercised for the sake of the world. And so God, would you bless the hands of those who drive carpools and those who fill out schedules. Bless the hands of those who troubleshoot and problem solve and dream dreams. Those who change diapers and who change oil. Those who create lesson plans and those who turn in assignments. Those who clean teeth. Those who clean hotel rooms. Those who lead teams and those who strive to be good teammates those who make change for a 20, and those who make change for all future generations, those who deliver babies, and those who deliver the mail, those who balance bottom lines, and all who are trying to balance work and family. Bless those long, calloused, and wrinkled hands those still looking for work that fills their souls with joy and those struggling to keep up with to-do lists that are too long. Bless those hands who receive no credit 
serving quietly, and those getting criticisms and applause. Bless the doctors, teachers, administrators, janitors. Bless the music makers, business owners, factory workers, wait staff, drivers, coaches, nurses, accountants, managers, salespeople, hustlers, grinders, and overtimers. On every shift, every day, every season of the year. We receive the strength and blessing offered by our creator. Let us also receive God's vision and generosity along with the courage to persevere in difficult times. Use us as you will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.